Dognitive therapy contains material which may be distressing to some listeners, such as domestic violence, animal cruelty, and mental health issues. A Podcast One production. Remember when you were a kid and you had to read to your teacher? If you're a good student, this was fun. But if you weren't, it could be the worst part of your day. Getting called up in front of everyone, all those eyes staring at you, the judgment you just knew your other classmates were giving you. For some kids, this experience is terrifying. That's why Story Dogs was created. It's a program where kids go to a quiet corner at school, away from the rest of the class, and read a book out loud to a dog. Don't, don't can go out to play too. Max saw Jake and Sam. Can I play too? No. That little girl is just eight and she's reading to a basset hound called Katie and her owner Maureen. And what do you like about story dogs? Seems pretty cool thing that you get to do and get to read to dogs. How cool is that? It's really fun and cool. Why do you like it? Because because I, th- I think dogs are really interesting to read to. Why is it interesting to read to Katie? Do you think she's a better listener than people sometimes? Yeah. yeah. How does she make you feel when you read to her? Happy. Really? She makes you feel happy? How so? Because she's cute? <laughs> Mostly yes. Yeah. My name's Laura V and welcome to Dognitive Therapy a series that explores how human behaviour shapes dogs' behaviour. Today's episode, empathy. Dogs just seem to understand our moods. They know when we're feeling down, when we're excited, and when we just can't be bothered dealing with humans. And at Story Dogs, you can see firsthand how the empathy of dogs puts children at ease. I caught up with Hilary Paul, one of the story dog coordinators about mutual empathy between dogs and humans and how we can all learn to be a little more empathetic. Hilary, tell us a little bit about story dogs. Well, story dogs, it wasn't started by me. I can't claim that fame. It was started (laughs) by two lovely, passionate people, Janine Signey and Leah Sheldon. Back in 2007, they first nutted the idea. Janine wanted some volunteer work to do. And she just, and she's passionate about dogs too, so she could see the need of both. It took them two years from there to get the first few dogs into schools. Tell us about a day in the life of a story dog. Well, they um, usually, sometimes they might need a bath, so that would be the day before. Okay. So it starts the day before, I get it. It can do, yes, it can do. Otherwise, you might do a quick brush, depending on what kind of dog you've got. If you've got a short-haired dog that's pretty clean, you don't worry. Um, but you might have to do a brushing of that morning. So, so first things first, they have to be dapper. That's right. They, they have, have to be nice looking their best. So, yeah, you don't want to take a dog in there that's got, you know, little bits of, um, you know, leaf litter all over the place or even worse. So they've got to be clean and tidy. So, I mean, but most of our dogs are that they don't have a problem with that. You, um, all of us 
story dog volunteers get a pack. They get a volunteer pack when they start. So it encompasses a bag, some notes and a blanket and some story dog story books for the children. So they gather their bag. They've also been issued with a jacket themselves <laughs> and the dogs have also got a jacket. Bright orange. Oh. Can't be missed. Um, orange was chosen because it's not a school colour as a whole. It's a different uniform colour. Most uniform. No, I don't think there are any orange uniforms out there. So it's chosen to be different. So they were put on their orange jackets and their vests in their car, usually, of course, in their car. Off they go to the school, usual bit, sign in at the office. Then they go to their designated place to start their session. Some of our volunteers go and collect the child from the, from the class. Some classes work differently. They send the child out sometimes on a phone system but each one is a bit different. That's all organised by the coordinator at the start-up meeting. So once the child comes out, they read for about 15 minutes, then the child goes back to class and it starts again with the next one. And it's around about four to six children that the volunteer has each session, each week. Is there a sense of pride from the dog's point of view, do you think? I guess pride is a difficult one because we can't really say the dog feels pride, but they love it. I mean... Once they've been for a few weeks, now, okay, to start with, there's an initial settling period for any for anything that you do, for human, dog, or whatever. So there is a settling in period. After that settling in period, that dog starts to get exciting. Mm. As soon as you start picking up that bag, and most of our volunteers will be saying the same, not just myself. Um, most of the volunteers say, oh, yes, uh, he knows when it's story dog day. Um, they know the routine. Dogs are very set into routines. They know what the bag you pick up. They know that the jacket goes on and they get quite excited. Yes. So is that pride? I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's certainly excitement. They want to be there. Which children are chosen for this process? Now, that is down to the teacher and the school itself. Now, we do guide them through. So as a coordinator, the coordinator meets with the teacher that's going to be involved in the program and we we give them suggestions as to who they might choose. Um, we go for grade two. Now, look, we could go for every grade. But grade two <laughs> twelve. good. Yeah, that might be hard for some volunteers to handle that. <laughs> Maybe reading <laughs> Hamlet's a little bit too much for a dog to mm. sit <laughs> Yes, indeed. So so grade two is a great year because they've already been identified as difficulty readers by the time they get to end of grade one. Teachers know who are having struggles reading so they can easily pick the children that they want to be on the program. So it's a good year to target. We're never going to have a huge abundance of story dog volunteers because it's just self-limiting. Um, getting the volunteer and the dog that have got the time and the temperament is always self-limiting. So... Then we say to the teachers, well, it's usually the kids that are underconfident. Those ones that are having difficulties, not just because the reading um, process is difficult, but because they lack the confidence, they lack self-esteem. Maybe they've had, had no good role modelling. That is often the case, but that's not always the case. It can be for many other reasons. So often we do find kids that are coming out that have oh, definitely got learning difficulties on the autistic spectrum quite often, um, but it can also be run-of-the-mill children that are just having difficulties. And how do those children respond to the process? They they love it because they're not... Children that are having difficulties at school normally, well, they get, um, um, get labelled, no doubt about it. Look, we can't help it. That's the system. They get labelled. Then they have to go out for support to the learning support teacher. That's hard for mm. kids. Their peers, oh, they probably get, maybe even they get as far as being bullied for it. When they're coming out to the story dog, 
everybody wants to come out of the story mm. dog. All the class want to come out of the story dog. So they are then the lucky ones, mm. the ones that get out to go to see the story dog. So they love it. We rarely have any behavioural problems with the kids because they want to be there. What sort of improvements have you seen? Definitely there are improvements. Most of our volunteers will be saying, yes, you know, I, I feel so good because at the end of the year, definitely the reading has improved. We try to have the same children for the whole year. Doesn't always happen, um, but if, if they can do six months on the programme, you will see improvements. Now, OK, so you could argue that the improvements are going to be happening anyway because they, they're at school to learn. So hopefully they are learning. But I definitely do think that we are seeing improvements in reading because of their confidence. Do you have any specific moments that stand out? Well, as far as the children and reading is concerned, um, there is one that we have a we're in one volunteers in a very low social economic area. A lot of these children are in foster cares, broken homes, dysfunctional homes, you name it. They've got some quite severe problems at that school. The, uh, we've got two volunteers with the dogs there, and one one of these one volunteer in particular, she was telling me about that the school have issues. Um, the kids have meltdowns regularly. Mm. Um, they they just lose the plot and have meltdowns. When often when they do, they they will leave the classroom, um, and sometimes they the story dogs are brought over to the children it, it, with permission. This is like between readings, um, and sometimes the volunteer is asked, "Look, would you mind going to see you know such and such." kid to see if you know if your dog um crosby's the name of the dog there um can help and it does it really does it just the, the just the influence of being able to touch the dog be with the dog tends to calm down those children um they also have um uh, if the child so they've used it to the school's advantage too sometimes when the volunteer was there children would be wandering around the club wandering around the school they have like locked gates at this particular school the kids wander around the school not always in class they should be in class but it this is and say they've got some pretty severe issues at the at the school if the child is not if they're part of the story dog program and the child is not actually in the class at the time that story they're, they're for their their reading session they miss out so they're using it as like a um a, a carrot really you stay in the mm-hmm. classroom and you'll go out to the dogs so and they do the compliance of being in the classroom for the children that have been chosen for the program is greater so you know it's definitely there to help you said that dogs love doing it. They look forward to it. They get excited when you when you pick up that bag. What are some of the ways that you try to cultivate that calm uh, sense of trust in the dog? Dogs love routine. Dogs don't like um, anxious times. They don't like people being stressed. They then going to take on those kind of feelings of stress and unsettledness. So as much as we can, we keep it the same. Um, we try to encourage our volunteers, be organised, know it's story dog day the next day. Don't make it that morning where you're having fights with the kids. Sometimes they've got kids. So try and avoid the fights with the kids. Be, you know, Have the sandwiches made the night before. Even as far as that, try to make it calm. If you get to the car park at the school and there's a bit of a tussle with a couple of kids outside, stay in the car with your dog. Don't get out at that point. Wait. Mm. Wait until it's calm. Then get out with your dog. Think for your dog. Be there for your dog. Be your dog's advocate. We we very much try to um, educate our volunteers to really worry for their dogs and look after their dogs. How do you overcome issues with a dog 
who isn't feeling that sense of calm and trust at the school. If they're really that bad, then they have to withdraw from the program. Um, I have personally just had a volunteer that's had to withdraw her dog. She loves the program passionately and would love to still be part of it. She's only got a young dog. It's a uh, a spoodle um, hmm. dog. So it's it was past the assessment. Now we do 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 we do a comprehensive assessment on all of our dogs? They don't just we don't just take them off from the street. It's quite an involved process to become a volunteer. So the dog had passed the assessment. We'd gone through all the training. The dog was placed in the school. Um, and yes, the dog was a little on the nervous side, not quite settling in the first few weeks. She would speak to me on the phone. I would say to her, well, have you tried taking treats, tried giving the dog treats, be as calm as possible, take it for a little walk between children. And this would go on. And now we also go through body language with our volunteers of dogs, what to watch for. They have a tick and flick sheet that they can actually use too that we've developed to give all of our volunteers that show signs like yawning, lip licking, um, turning away, fidgeting, all the signs that the dog may not be comfortable. And she she was actually seeing a lot of these signs. So we would talk on the phone and she, in the end, said, look, yeah, I'm happy to take the dog out of the programme. And I said, yes, I'm totally with you there. And I applauded her for the fact that she was um, wanting to carry on with the programme, but she knew her dog wasn't coping. And it's sad, (laughs) but it happens. I'm Laura V, and you're listening to Dognitive Therapy. If you enjoy this series, give it a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to this show for free. When you're talking about the signs of anxiety and stress with dogs, are these some of the things that everyday dog owners should be looking out for as well? Oh, definitely. That's a big passion of mine as a dog trainer. Um, The more we can get out to the public um, about stress signs for dogs, and especially when it comes to children, the less incidences we would probably have. The majority of dog bites, as we're probably well aware, Mm. are in homes where it's their own dog that does the biting. So Mm. we need to watch the body language, teach people. When you're talking about that, it's such a good sort of topic to go into in terms of talking about trust, because... When we're looking for the body language signs of a dog who is experiencing anxiety, there's a breakdown of trust between that owner and that dog. So it's very important that we start to look for those signs. Are we setting our dogs up for failure sometimes? With story dogs, um, we do fail some dogs. Um, Some dogs come through and they get failed at assessment. And... Are they set up for failure? We try not to. We try to instruct the volunteer. Most of our volunteers, when they first contact us, they believe they've got a dog that is suitable for story dogs, for therapy work. And a lot of them do have. Definitely a lot of them do have. But just occasionally we get some that are a little bit um, unaware of what their dog is really going through and what their dog is really like. That comes out in the assessment. (laughs) How do they fail? What happens? Well, look, we're not looking for obedience. We're not looking for the dog that can do a 100-metre sit-drop stay. We're looking for the dog that's kept on lead. All of our dogs in in reality are kept on lead. They, They don't have to have a huge amount of actual obedience. The, the process is a 10-stage process, and that is mostly geared so that the dog assessor herself can get a real good grasp on the temperament of the dog. Will this dog cope in a situation? 
how are they with strangers? How are they at being touched? We do actually hug the dog at that stage as well, at some stage during that assessment. Now dogs, as you probably know, dogs, most dogs don't like being hugged. Mm -hmm. But a child is going to probably hug a dog at, at some stage. We have to be assured that the dog is not going to kind of freak out because it's being hugged. So we do do a gentle hug over a dog and we do explain to the owner, this is not what we we wanting children to do. In fact, we want you to educate children not to hug dog, dogs. But should it happen, I feel assured that your dog is going to be okay. So we're looking for stress signs. We're looking for the dogs that, that don't sort of Pull, their fa pull a funny face or turn their head away, um, have any kind of um, like tail tucking, um, any kind of behaviours that indicate that they're not comfortable about being touched, any part of their body and being handled really. One thing that struck me from your information on your website was that students with reading difficulties find themselves in a cycle of almost unrelenting failure that ensures an ever-widening gap between them and fluent readers. I thought this was such a powerful quote. What do you think would happen to these children without this program? Oh, look, I'm afraid of, we can't be everywhere. There are <laughs> children that get through that aren't part of this program. What do I think happens to them? Unfortunately, they're the ones that are often become illiterate adults. Um, we have a, a lot of illiterate adults We've got to ask yourself, they were children at one stage. They slipped through the gaps. They're the ones that didn't learn to read. As an illiterate adult, life can be difficult. What is it about dogs that makes them such great listeners? It's the atmosphere. It's lying there on the mat. I mean, dogs love just lying down, snuggling with people. Lying there on the mat is great for them. They love it. So now, whether how much they're listening to the story, it's all white noise as far as they're concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but the child doesn't necessarily know that. We get lots of children saying, oh, look, I think I read your dog to sleep, things like that. Um, or, oh, look, I think they've got his eyes closed. Can I wake him up? And sometimes we might do that. Sometimes we might say, oh, look, they've enjoyed the story so much. Let them have a rest. <laughs> so, look, there's many, 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 many a story that the dogs have actually fallen asleep. <laughs> People... Um often tell me that their dog won't listen to them. I mean, I work in dog training like you do. I disagree that they won't listen to them, rather that they just perhaps don't trust what their owner is saying to them. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I'm a dog trainer too, and the human needs to learn in that case. The human needs to... Dogs are always going to make choices. And as far as the dog's concerned, if the human is, is saying things to the dog and the dog has never been reinforced for a behaviour, it's unlikely that it's going to be doing that in future. So as when we can change the human, we build a bond, we build the trust level. Um, I like to call it a bit of like... Um, um, I think Susan Friedman first coined the, the idea of a bank account. Fill up the bank account, make it well and truly green before you make withdrawals. Mm. And in other words, you're going to have a really high reinforcement history for any behaviour. You're going to give them lots and lots and lots of rewards, not just food. Think out of, the, out of the square, other things as well. What do you mean by that? Because I think most dog owners think about a reward or a reinforcer as being a treat, but it's not always food. What other things can be used to be an effective reinforcer from your perspective? Well, it depends on the dog. If the dog likes to play, you might use play. If the dog um, wants to be um, patted, 
cuddled, um, not necessarily cuddled, but just touched in certain ways, scratched under the chin, you might use that. Um, and then, you know, you get into the technical side of using pre-MAC principle, but um, that's a little bit more complicated, but we do cover that in classes. So if the dog wanted to do something like go outside of the door, maybe they want to um, come inside the door, you might get a behaviour before they come in. So you're, it's a little bit like what we used to grandma's principle. You, you have your mains, you have your greens before you can have your dessert. So mm-hmm. you know, do this behaviour and then you'll get the better. So we can we um, broaden it, broaden it. Do you see long-term benefits of the program as well? Oh, definitely. Um, one volunteer had a selective mute on the program. Um, she was part of the Story Dogs program and she came out week after week. Nothing changed. Nothing changed for a number of weeks. Um, in fact, the school at the end even said, look, this doesn't seem to be working. Let's let's take her off. So they did. They, they took her off the program. Didn't seem to be going anywhere. So they took her off the program and then it was one time in the playground um the child was there the volunteer was there with, with the dog and the volunteer went up to the child and you know just to sort of ask how they were going um are you missing story dogs do you want to say hello to my dog just being polite and now she didn't talk at that point but she did indicate that she wanted to be back on the program and i think even the volunteer said but you've got to try you know you've got to you've got to you know, got to read stories to to my dog. And she was back on the program and it didn't take too many weeks. That volunteer was pretty good too. She did things like, um, say, well, okay, just reading to the dog, not me. I'll turn away. I'll hold my hands over my ears so that I can't hear you. So maybe not all volunteers would have thought of that, but she thought of that. Over that time, the child relaxed and started to read out loud to the dog. And slowly, that volunteer could then take her hands off off her ears and start to actually participate in the the story as well. What a moment that must have been for everyone mm -hmm. who was there to have experienced that. Do you think every child should have a dog? Oh, I'd love every child to have a dog, but no, not every child should have a dog because not every household should have a dog. Um, but it is nice that, it, that sometimes when they don't have a dog, they can be chosen for this for this program. So, no, <laughs> definitely not. But um, I love dogs. It certainly um, it it did actually help my own son through through schooling. We chose a dog when he was about seven. It was from the RSPCA as a puppy. Um, he named her Anzac, mm-hmm. and she lived to get him through to university and she she then passed on at that at, at, at that point and he's um on he's basically Asperger's so um it got him through all a lot of his schooling um through having her how did she do that for him she was always there for him she was constant had a very anything else we did we didn't have too many changes we were very lucky in in a family uh, bringing up an autistic ch- child um we didn't have to have too many changes so we could keep things which is better for them but she was also that constant she was a very very strong companion with with him she bonded with him and i encouraged it but it was mostly coming from him wow you mentioned you had therapy dogs in hospitals did you see any similarities between the patients and dogs there and the children and the story dog program? Well, I guess they they have needs. Um, we're, we're looking at children that have needs. Um, they have, they want to have that closeness and that confidence building. And the same in in a hospital setting. Um, so I did volunteer for through Delta with my dog, um, beautiful old Rusty. We went to a dementia ward. Um, this is in a, in a major hospital in Brisbane. We went to a dementia ward, and um, 
There was one particular time that she, we went to visit the patients and there was a lady that was in her bed, um, clearly very unwell. She probably wasn't going to be there the next week when we were visiting the next week. My dog just naturally seemed to, I don't know what she seemed to know, but she just hopped, hopped up on that bed with mm. the patient, lay down next to the lady and the lady had her hand on the dog and she was crying. She her tears coming out of her eyes. She was just loving it. She She did kind of whisper that she had a dog before years ago and she loves dogs and how special that was and my dog was just calm just lying there not doing not fidgeting not doing anything just being there with the lady for for her to be there how did that make it's magical it's 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 it brings a tear to your eye to be quite honest it is the, these moments do happen we talk about children who need to build trust and confidence and you were just talking about taking your dog into a nursing home for the elderly with dementia is there a a middle age of people that you can think of that can benefit as well? Is it just young people and elderly or can we all benefit from a therapy dog? Oh, we can all benefit. There are programs in America. I don't believe there are any here, but there are programs in America that are taking dogs into schools for exam times. So that either universities or high schools and they take them into a, like a big common area so that the, the downtime between exams, the, the, they can come out and be with the dog and, and it just lowers their, their, their stress levels. Um, I don't know how much um, you know you have read or know about oxytocin, but oxytocin is released when you look into dogs' eyes. Um, when you're patting a dog, oxytocin is a, is um, sometimes nicknamed as a love hormone. Um, it's a good feel good. It, it's a feel good moment. So when you release oxytocin, and men and women release oxytocin, by the way, not just women, <laughs> um, it, it's a feel good moment. So if we can have dogs into situations where people are under stress and they can get this release of oxytocin, they're going to feel better. Story Dogs is a great example of building trust between children and dogs. Is there a way that you think people can do that with their dogs and children at home? Yes, definitely. Look, I, I think it's lovely to have a child grow up with a dog. As I said before, my own child benefited hugely by growing up with a dog. And I would love to see children growing up with dogs, of course. It teaches them to have responsibility. It teaches them compassion. Um, it teaches the, the, the child that you can't just do things to um, a dog and expect them to be your friend unless you're going to be respectful to that animal, that dog. So... Definitely, they can do this at home. Um, get the child involved in just being with the dog, but being mindful that the dog is enjoying it. Be close to the dog, but not hugging it. Reading to the dog is great because actually you, you can actually then do that at home with a dog, with your child, and it takes the pressure off the parent. You're reading to the dog today, not to me. So you, you're lessening that pressure. Sometimes parents feel too much pressure when the child is not reading um, to their correct level and they get stressed. If they can all be with a dog, it may help the parent be less stressed <laughs> and therefore the child will be less stressed. The whole situation then is much more encompassing. Hilary, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Is this a real microphone? Yes, it is a real microphone. It's doing a real recording. Look, it's got a little red light on. Uh, it says it's on. Do you know what a podcast is? No. 
This show was written by me, Laura V, and my amazing producer, Dave Zwolinski. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Executive producers are Jennifer Goggin and Grant Todhill. If you want to see additional content, photos and videos of some of the gorgeous dogs in this series, go to our Instagram page at podcast1au or check us out on Facebook. Dognative Therapy is a Podcast One production recorded in the Podcast One studios, Melbourne.